0: Artemis are known as the profit hunters for good reason. We seek out profits when conditions are good, when they take a turn for the worse, and when they're downright terrible. For over 20 years, we've been hunting down profits, whatever the economic climate has been like, as we will continue to do. Artemis, the profit hunter, capital at risk.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Asset Allocator podcast where we try to look under the bonnet of the market with leading industry participants. I'm David Thorpe, Contributing Editor at Asset Allocator and joining me today are Cormac Weldon, US Equity Fund Manager at Artemis and Joseph Wilkins, Fund Reporter at Asset Allocator. Today we are discussing the outlook for US equities a few weeks after the S&P hit an all-time high. This podcast is sponsored by Artemis. Thank you both for joining me. Cormac, the economic data from the US has been very resilient, maybe surprisingly uh, resilient. Is this making a broader range of equities more attractive in that market?
0: Uh, absolutely, it is. and um, I mean, the data has been good for, for a little while, as you said, and the outlook for the data is, is still looking quite good. Um, so when we, uh, we're, we're, you know, in terms of the opportunities in the market, um, I know we'll talk about tech in a little while, uh, but more broadly, um, some of the industrial holdings um uh, investments that we have are, are performing very well. Um, we should uh, un- understand that there's a lot of fiscal stimulus, government expenditure going into the economy. Um, we we all hear stories of people who come back from the holiday in the states and talk about how terrible the roads are and the airports. Uh, well, that's all being addressed, uh, mainly by fiscal expenditure. So that's one area. Strong industrial economy. Uh, the other area would actually be housing, where where um, after the financial crisis. Um, uh, uh, housing never caught up uh, with building enough houses for the demand that was there. And that's still the case today. So even though interest rates are relatively high at the moment, demand for housing is actually quite strong. So that's another area of the market that, um, uh, that is quite robust. So yes, we would say, um, more broadly, uh, there's a broad range of opportunities in the market at the moment.
2: Thank you, Cormac. Um, Naturally, we can't avoid talking about the Magnificent Seven in a podcast about uh, U.S. equities. Um, so we're interested to hear what you make of the investment case for these um, at the current valuation levels.
0: Yeah, um, so, so we look at, look at investments on, on a stock-by-stock basis. So, so actually, when people talk about the Magnificent Seven as a, as a, a single entity, you know, um, that's not the way we look at them. So they're all individual stocks with their own dynamics and yes at the moment ai is quite a powerful dynamic going on for some of them obviously nvidia which we own is the main beneficiary of investment um because their chips are 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 what what is currently powering um ai uh, on the other hand we've got the companies who are investing in Nvidia chips, like Microsoft and Meta Platforms (formerly known as Facebook), which are buying those chips and using the, uh, AI uh, in their businesses. Um, so, they're are three companies we like at the moment. Um, the valuations are actually not that uh, not that expensive, to be quite honest with you. It, it slightly varies, but um, but when um, what 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 is very clear is that the earnings estimates a number of these companies are going up a lot like NVIDIA. On the other hand, there are some of the um, um, Magnificent Seven that we don't own, that we don't like. Um, So so again, it's just very much you have to focus stock by stock uh, on the fundamentals of each individual business, which is currently partly driven by AI, but not exclusively. Uh, So for instance, Meta Platforms is really recovering from and um, uh, a bit of a lull after COVID, uh, when we all uh, disengage from uh, from social media for a period, but they're catching up rapidly. So that's another dynamic that's helping uh, some of these companies.
1: And Cormac, a number of those businesses have, have begun to pay dividends. I mean, uh i know, i know yours is not not specifically an income fund but does that give you reassurance as an investor that capital discipline uh is there and that they aren't all going to uh run off and take uh, moonshots uh with well, investor capital in, in future
0: no it's, it's a great question um actually they're going to do both um so so the the very unusual thing about these businesses is that they're highly profitable uh, from a free cash flow point of view and even just from a normal profits point of view. So, so we're, we're, we're in the unusual situation with these large, quite high-growth companies uh, are, are also very, very profitable. So, so to be quite honest with you, uh, we want them to pursue some, some moonshots. After all, what was AI other than a moonshot at some point? Um, but also that the, their cash generation is so high that – as you observe, some of them are paying dividends and buying back stock. And um, so we we're, we're supportive of that. But it's the key is it's a demonstration of the profitability of the business and the strength of the business at, at this point in time.
1: Thank you. And uh, Comic, you did you, you reference the ones earlier uh, answers the uh, the uh, extraordinary level of uh, fiscal stimulus that's been happening in the US and how that's creating more opportunities are some of those opportunities in in consumer cyclical uh sectors as well or is it more of a, a almost a b2b story as you say repairing roads means uh, uh asphalt uh, uh sellers uh, do do well
0: yeah it's it's very much the the, the latter um so so um we, sh- we should remember there, there's actually three significant pieces of legislation that uh, that, that Biden passed. The first was the infrastructure, uh, w- w- addresses infrastructure, roads and bridges, essentially. So for instance, today, uh, we know that Texas has a $100 billion 10-year program to improve their roads. So you've got a great tailwind for the stocks that will benefit, uh, benefit from that you know, rocks and cement and asphalt, as you say. Um, The next one was the Chips and Science Act, I think it was called. And that's obviously encouraging uh, semiconductor companies to locate uh, their business in the U.S. Um, So that money is being spent, TSMC, Intel are are building fabs. So, so again, that comes down to, obviously, the equipment that goes in those uh, uh, fabs, as they're called. Um, but also, even just more basic, you know, uh, a, a, when you when you build a fab, it's built on top of rocks and cement, and then you have all the uh, engineering above it. So, so uh, it's really the industrial part of the economy uh, that is is benefiting most at the moment. But we shouldn't forget that you know all of this investment is providing jobs and wages for people. So, so the U.S. unemployment rate is quite low, um, uh, and uh, wages are quite strong. Um, so it, it is, it, it, it's it's also a benefit for the consumer economy down the road, you know, without, without it being a very direct beneficiary.
1: Thank you. And um, if we are in a position where, I guess, not just that the economic data is strong, but that there are some cyclical uh, uh, tailwinds out there, that should be strong for the outlook for banks. But at the same time, if we have rate cuts, that might be seen as bad for banks or certainly denting sentiment. Are bank stocks an area of uh, particular interest to you at the moment, Cormac?
0: Yeah, we, we do own some bank stocks, and um, uh, we're we're um, it's not the biggest part of our portfolio. Um, we we try to focus on very specific um store uh, 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 banks that have specific drivers to them. And what do I mean by that? I mean if we take it at a top a top down level. Banks sort of do all the same thing, right? They uh, they take in deposits and they lend money, and they either lend it to consumers or to businesses, basically. Um, but but you know, and that's all a pretty commoditized business. So we we try to find banks that are uh, have a specific driver. So, for instance, we know that the southern states of the U.S are higher growth than the northern states. Um, they tend to be more business friendly. They bring in people because housing is cheaper. So they bring in people from the cold north where housing is expensive. And by the way, taxes are high into the south. So, so we've got uh, uh, in our portfolios, we've got banks that are that are based in the south and that we believe will be able to grow at a higher rate um, and then, then, their northern brethren. Um, in terms of interest rates, you know, we're we're, we're really focused on the economy. The economy is doing well, and yes, movements of interest rates impact the profitability of banks. Um, but we think over time uh, that that just better economic growth and better positioning is is the key to successful bank investing.
2: Um, Cormac, I'd be interested to hear thoughts on the US consumer, um, who seems to spend, you know, rain or shine, and. Um, there seems to be stories every month in the media of the US consumers, you know, uh, bound to run out of savings by the next month end and things like that. Um, how do you see consumer spending in, in the economy where a recession, to be fair, hasn't, hasn't happened yet, but um, there's certainly some pressure. I think the savings uh, given in uh, COVID stimulus programs are running out. Um, how do you view the US consumer in, in the big picture?
0: Sure. Um, well, well, the uh, the rumors of their demise are greatly exaggerated. Um, the the U.S. consumer. So first of all, they have a job if they want one, right? So the economy is close to full employment. More people are coming back into employment. Um, certainly, COVID was very disruptive. Um, uh, obviously, you know, many people struggle for childcare, for instance. Uh, we know women left the workforce uh, uh, possibly to ad- address uh, address that issue. But but it's interesting. More recently, um, uh, females in the workforce are back to their two thousand and nineteen level. So so the strong economy and better wages and by the way flexible working hours and working from home have brought many many women who were not in the workforce back in. So employment is quite full. Uh, and indeed, uh, wages have been quite strong. Although yeah, more recently, wage inflation has rolled over a little bit, but still, you know, the, 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 having a job is the number one determinant of whether you're able to consume or not. Um, you, you touched on the saving side, and and it's true that uh, that some people, tended to be the the lower income people, have burned through some of those savings, uh, burned through most of those savings they accumulated uh, during COVID. Um, But but as I said, the fact that they have a job is is obviously supporting their consumption. At the other end, you've got higher end consumers who are um, um, uh, responsible for most of consumption within the economy, are are in a very strong position. Uh, Many of them own their homes and those home prices have gone up they have investments and pensions and the value of those have gone up. Um, So, so they're in a a very healthy, uh, healthy position. Uh, So when you take it in aggregate, the U S consumer is in a healthy position. Um, But, but uh, I think it's, it's worth saying that um, those lower income consumers have less savings than they used to are borrowing a little more on credit cards than they used to. Uh, But, but again, overall indebtedness for u.s consumers is actually at quite low levels and so the 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 um the trope uh, that u.s consumers were just borrowing and borrowing and borrowing and spending all of that money uh, was true 15 20 years ago is much less true today than it was
2: thank you Cormac. that's uh that's really interesting and uh going forward obviously 2024 is a big year uh, around the world, I guess for for elections, with, with most citizens going to polls, that includes the US. Is what's the outlook for you going into election season? Is there any political risk on on either side? Um, how do you view, you know, the political case right now, and into twenty
0: twenty four? There's an election in the US this year, really. Um, no, we we're, we're very focused uh, on this, and I uh, have to say um it's it's it, 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 compared to normal elections and in inverted commas um you know it, it, it the outcomes the range of outcomes are are reasonably wide it, it, at this point i i still think it need to 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 um be adamant that we know who the runners are uh is is maybe a stretch um the recent report um uh, uh, with regards to Biden over, over the secret documents, was pretty damning. I mean, essentially saying that he was too old and infirm to take the stand is, mm. is a pretty pretty damning indictment of a, of a sitting president. Um, but, you know, let's see. Uh, I, it would be a very, very big move for the Democratic Party to uh, to not choose and then not choose the vice president, which we don't believe they would. Um, and so uh, in, in terms of... of investment implications of a Trump win or a Biden win. Um, It's pretty clear Trump would put um, more, would attempt to put more tariffs on Chinese imports. On the face of it, that would be inflationary and would be quite disruptive to to supply chains. You know, let's see. Um, uh, Although we sort of have, we have this playbook already from when he put albeit a lower amount of tariffs on products in his first presidency. Um, uh, Other other than that, um, it's interesting that when you look at Biden's policies of of infrastructure and chips and science and the Inflation Reduction Act, if if, um, Biden had branded those Make America Great Again, I don't think anyone would have batted an eyelid, right? So so they're very domestically focused uh, investment, which apparently Trump likes um, so, so I, I, at this point we're we're not making changes in our portfolio based on an assumed outcome. Um, you know, perhaps as we get closer and and maybe policies become a bit more specific um from from Trump in particular. Uh, we'll uh, we might there, there may be changes to make. Uh, but at this point, I think um you know the the dynamics within the economy, the likelihood that these infrastructure spending, will last well beyond uh, uh 2024 is is um uh, and also uh, the the trajectory of interest rates and inflation are probably the things that we're thinking about most on a day-to-day basis. Economic uh to bring a few of those
1: uh points together uh I know that you run there at Artemis both an all cap strategy and uh and a smaller companies focused uh fund those points about the Uh, strength of the consumer uh, and of GDP and of the effects of fiscal stimulus are those things uh, percolating down to the P&Ls of of the smaller companies in the US and secondly around valuations in the pandemic we had this phenomenon known as meme stocks uh, where random or it seemed to me random companies uh, went to very large valuations very quickly Uh, is that still uh, happening down there
0: uh, okay, there's a lot in a lot in that question. So so first of all, um, smaller companies are uh, much cheaper compared to their larger cap rather than they've been in about twenty years. so so the valuation opportunity of you know should we be invested in small cap or large cap is that the valuation would say you definitely should have exposure to to small cap stocks. In addition, as you pointed out, um smaller companies, uh, or at least as you've asked, uh, smaller companies, are significant beneficiaries of that domestic infrastructure expenditure. So, so you know, it's not, it's not Microsoft and Apple that are making cement and you know, pounding rocks that go into go into a new road or a new bridge. It's much smaller, domestically focused companies. And and for instance, it's interesting that the US based on current activity, which we think will grow over the next number of years, is actually short of cement. They don't, uh, the US doesn't produce the amount of cement it needs uh, to for all of this expenditure. So they're uh, in- importing cement. Um, uh, which we think will continue for for many years. So, in terms of the infrastructure, um, smaller companies are, are definite beneficiaries. And as you said, and as we chatted about earlier, you know the U.S. consumer um, is, you know, to the extent that they have a job and are spending, or indeed, you know, they're they're saving or not and buying a house, which 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 many of them are. You know, that's all very domestically focused. So, if you the other part of our portfolio, which uh, I mentioned earlier is housing-related companies. Again, very domestic, smaller companies, typically. But I, I would say that that we we shouldn't just view uh, smaller companies as as those more uh, traditional uh, parts of the economy. There's also technology in there, um, and you know, increasingly, um, we believe the market will 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 focus not just on how many Nvidia chips are going to be sold. But but what the implications for that are? So for instance, you know our belief um, is is that a, an AI data center, as opposed to one of the older version data centers from oh, two years ago, uh, will be much more intensive and use, in other words, use an awful lot more networking equipment, and also a, a lot more memory uh, to store all of that data. And um, so within smaller companies, we're able to access some of those. Uh, beneficiaries of AI spending um, uh, within that, within that portfolio as well. Um, so so there, there's a, a broader range of opportunities. There's a broad range of opportunities in smaller companies. They're trading relatively cheap compared to their history. Um, so yeah, we think there's a good opportunity there. Thank you for that, uh, Cormac.
1: And um, within <coughs> within that uh, context, uh, a number of uh, US smaller. Uh, banks have uh, uh, been in the wars it's fair to say over the last year or two um, is it, you mentioned earlier about exposure to bank stocks but uh, do, the do the travails of those things materially impact smaller companies more because those companies have less capacity to get credit or or really is smaller such a such a relative term when looking at the US market that the uh, that one or two banks can go by the wayside and it doesn't create a liquidity issue down the market cap scale
0: um um i agree with your last comment uh, so so let's see there, there, there are thousands of banks in the us um and they're all, all the big ones that we all know and as you say they go all the way down to smaller community banks um, you know that lend money to the dry cleaner and the restaurant etc etc et cetera. Et cetera. Um, there, there has been clearly there's some issues going back over a year now um, uh, with uh with, with with some smaller banks um and again we 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 had 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 a, what looks like an isolated issue um more recently uh with with uh, commercial real estate in new york um that there's plenty of credit available it's interesting that, that um Banks had tightened their credit and basically said, you know, there's a survey that asks are, are banks tightening or loosening credit standards. For a period, they had tightened them, but actually now they're 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 uh, re- uh, relaxing them again. Meaning, you know, if you walk into the bank and you're looking for a loan for your business, they're more likely to give it to you today than they were a year ago. Um, so, so the availability of of, of credit. Um, is 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 there? Uh, and again, you, you made the observation about the sort of relative size. I mean, the companies we're investing in, in say our smaller companies fund, um, uh, are you know uh, typically uh, up to. $10, 12 billion dollars in market capitalization that would get them in the footsie right so 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 these aren't these aren't aren't companies that are are, are running on a shoestring and not not getting credit obviously the better quality ones have, have no problem getting credit or profitable you know good good are running a good business able to generate their own capital as well and um, so we don't see the issues um, that that have hit smaller smaller banks uh, in the last year. As, as economically important and certainly not important uh, from, from where the focus of our fund is, which is in better run businesses. I, it is a fair point, though, that, that there are a number of small companies that are unprofitable and too indebted uh, and maybe uh, have just been limping along for a number of years. We very much stay away from those because that uh, your point about availability credit would be more relevant for them struggling to get credit and for the better businesses we invest in. Thank you for that, Cormac
1: Weldon, US Equity Fund Manager at Artemis. And thank you to Joseph Wilkins, Funds Reporter at Asset Allocator. And thank you all for listening. And please do remember to tune in to future editions of the Asset Allocator podcast. Thank you.